Another episode of Driving to the Res. I am Ilie, and I'll be your host today, introducing a special edition where we will publish the first chapter of the book Earth Files. The full book will be launched in the next two weeks. What you'll hear is a recording of the book club first episode where Inelia reads a chapter from the book and then the Walk With Me Now members ask questions about it, resulting in some very interesting explorations. We assume you have read the previous book, The Return, so you are familiar with the characters and the plot. Enjoy! Chapter 1. Are you ready? First draft of the Earth Files, the second in the Return series. You heard it here first. Hi, Daniela. Hi, Lori. Hi, Georgiana. Oh. <laughs> I already said hi, Georgiana. <laughs> okay, chapter one. Cathelia watched as the man made his way towards the house. He was deliberating his steps and the people around him bowed as he passed. She wondered about him. Was he human? Yes, he felt human. The people who worked on the grounds were also human. They all looked so tiny. She was tiny too. She was so used to the people who surrounded her day in and day out, who were all so much bigger than any human she had ever met, that not humans seemed tiny to her in comparison. She wasn't quite sure, but it seemed as though the plants and trees which lined the path to the house also bowed in respect. She rubbed her eyes and looked again. It was almost like she could sense it, feel the plants and trees do that, but they didn't do it, didn't physically move. She looked up at the sky and noticed the pink sun was still on the horizon where it would stay for a few hours yet. The days were long here on Platonicus, and it was customary to start them at dawn. Her dad had told her that Earth days lasted about half as long in the days here at home. She didn't remember that exactly. She didn't remember much about Earth, the planet she was born on. But she did have to take long naps during the day, something that other people didn't do. Her daddy told her it was because she was growing a growing girl. It was true. She was already eight Earth years old, but she was as tall as most of the humans who worked in the palace grounds were very old in comparison. She didn't know how old they were, but they all looked like adults. She had not seen another human child since she had left Earth five years earlier. She was about half the size of the children of her age in Britannicus, but still very tall for a human. She thought about this for a while as she watched the man work his way towards the house. It would be quite a while before he reached it. Her genes had changed, her daddy had told her, not quite human anymore, but more human than anyone else in her family. She could order her body to grow taller so she would be more normal-sized for an eight-year-old, but something inside her resisted doing so. She had never really had much interest in the humans who worked on the grounds before, but watching them today made her curious. The approaching man made her curious most of all. She moved closer to the window and touched the glass. It felt cold on her, her fingertips. 
The flowers outside responded to the movement of her fingers. It made her giggle. She would have to show her daddy when he came home. It was a new skill she discovered two days earlier when playing hide-and-seek with her brother, Lord Cain. The man was talking to one of the gardeners now, but at that moment, the moment when she had made the flowers outside the window move, he looked over to her and smiled. She smiled back and tapped into his mind. It was so full of stuff. She rolled her eyes and stepped away from the window. The man was a teacher and she'd had enough of teachers. She didn't want another teacher. She felt his mind reaching into hers. I'm not really a teacher, he said. I'm an oracle. Do you know what an oracle is? When he asked, Cecilia didn't know what an oracle was, but she found that the man did. And it seemed very interesting indeed. An oracle can see past what's visible, past what's audible, remember what it hasn't happened yet, and guide themselves and others through unknown territory, she said, and waited for his approval. Very good. We also make great pancakes. Have you had can pancakes before? They're human food. A memory of pancakes stirred in her memory. She was very young, the kitchen, her foster family around her, and a man. Someone she loved very much was making her pancakes. Francisco, she said, feeling a wretched sadness shake her body at the memory. She took control of her emotions. Her small and inaki built suits helped her stabilize them. And she smiled. Big girls don't cry. Maybe she should stay little. She looked behind her at the Anunnaki tutor and the other adults who were constantly by her side and noticed that none of them were aware of the people on the grounds outside the window. No one noticed the man walking through the grounds, nor did they notice that all the humans were bowing as he passed. No one noticed as he made his way to the front entrance. No one noticed her split-second show of deep emotion, as always, distant and noticed and disconnected. Pay attention, Cecilia. This is important. You need to learn about your people, your planet, and your history, and an architecture said in stern and powerful voice. The other adults in the room went silent and turned their attention towards her. How would she react? What would she do? What would happen to the tutor? She heard their thoughts and felt their emotions. She sighed and walked to the door, opening it just as the guard was about to knock. She nodded to the guard who stood aside and let the man into the room. She heard, other, she heard gasps in the background. She smiled and extended her hand and as her daddy had taught her in the traditional earth greeting. The man took her hand in his, shook it, knelt down before her and bowed his head in respect. Our queen returned, he said, then proceeded to copy the Anunnaki greeting when meeting a sovereign. Cecilia could feel the adults behind her relaxing in their chairs. This was something familiar to them. It was something they could understand. She waited until the formal greeting was over, then invited him to join the group around the table. This was my tutor. I can't recall his name, the tutor Fran, in his disrespectful introduction. This is Daddy Spy Orso, a young man shifted uncomfortably in his seat. These three people are scientists from some genetic place. I can't recall which one. And this one is mummy spy, Sethin. A slender older man bowed. The female there on the corner is my mother's mummy. She's a roomy and very dangerous. So my brother's, sorry, let me read that again. The female there on the corner is my brother's mummy. She's a roomy and very dangerous, so be careful with her. Don't get too close and don't let her touch you. She's obsessed with me and won't let me sleep without taking a blood sample. Her name is Shiler. Shiler hissed a laugh and carried on with her work. Everyone, say hello to my new tutor. She looked at him for a name, Alexander. Meet my new tutor, Alexander. He's human. She then turned to the tutor who had been assigned to her that morning, bowed her head and pointed to the door. Thank you for your wisdom and services, sir. My daddy will compensate you for your hard labor. 
She looked at her father's spy and added, probably as we speak. Somewhere in the same planetary sector, Anin got a direct message from his agent at the house. Sir, your daughter has a human visitor. He arrived today. We can trace his vessel from the Orion sector. She had allowed him to enter the property and is in conversation with him, apparently telepathic. She has state, stated here he is her new tutor and has formally fired the one you assigned for her today. I've taken the liberty to recompensate the fire tutor for his troubles. And he sent a message, received unapproved response and smiled. His wife's daughter was being returned. She was also a very young child. Finding a tutor for her had proven impossible. If the child didn't sack them, one of his staff members did. But they simply walked out. The child wasn't difficult. She was just more knowledgeable than anyone he had ever met. However, she was at a developmental stage that required integration of a certain social etiquette that was vital for future diplomatic enterprises. If he didn't find a way to civilize her, make her see that people had to think they had free will and that not everyone in the universe was her friend or could be manipulated to do her bidding, introducing her to the Empire was going to be unimaginably harder than it already was set to be. Already she, she was refusing to change her shape to a normal Anunnaki size and form, preferring instead to look like a human. It was so much easier if she would simply comply and look like a regular person. Or so send me the man's deep profile and give him a communication device. I want to interview him. Yes, sir. Are you listening to me, young man? Unkeen, the ambassador for the Andromeda system, spoke out loud. Deep apologies, ambas ambassador, and he knew better than to lie to this particular man. He was renowned for knowing truth from lies, even if the lie was well wrapped in truth. It is my daughter. She's only eight years old. Oh, why is she not with you? At this stage, she should be tethered to you. The man suddenly stopped talking and leaned forward. Anin, you're not old enough to have a father and a child. How is this possible? She is my adopted daughter, Ambassador Ankin, my wife's child by a previous marriage. And the biological father? Missing in action, presumed dead. The truth was neither Anin nor his wife, Anilet, knew who the biological father was. They had been actively searching for his genetic lineage among human colonies for years, and so far no one had any positive results. I'm so sorry to hear of the father's death. You are a brave man to take such a huge task on your shoulders at such a tender age, too. I hope and pray the mother, your wife, is older and of an age to mother a child? Yes, she is. Our marriage is um, love-based. She made the statement knowing it often stopped any further discussion on the matter. The ambassador's eyes flickered in shock for a split second and Annie could see the man's training and suit taking over his display of shock and emotional disapproval. I have heard of it, of course, a thing of myth and legends, but I know when a man speaks the truth and you're speaking the truth. This is very unexpected news. I take it that apart from the awkwardness of a love-based marriage and incapacity to tether the child to you due, due to your tender age, no other issues are present in the joining? And he knew the ambassador meant his and his wife's family approval, acceptance, and legal contracts pertaining to their marriage. It wasn't something they had made public, which was rare in his social strata, but normal. Well, yes, all is well. All contracts were entered with full agreement of all parties concerned. You, of course, won't be fathering a child for quite some time. And he thought of his son, Lord Kane, the child he wasn't able to speak about with anyone for any reason. Oh my God, Anin, the Rumney child. Yes, I remember now. You are that, Anin, my deep felt apologies. I should have done my homework before opening my big mouth. 
I'm very sorry for your loss. The ambassador's voice increased in pitch and volume, indicating that his interest in finding out more about the Rumney child had not been fully satisfied. His mind was clearly busy looking for the correct way to approach more questions about the sordid situation Adin had been a part of. And he took a deep breath, allowed his suit to stabilize his own emotions and thoughts, and express his thanks to the condolences in a way which would clearly put an end to the discussion. No one outside the Order of Protectors must know of his son, that his son was alive and well. We were discussing mineral rights, Penning said, concluding the personal talk. To his relief, the ambassador nodded and continued on with the negotiations. Adam was no longer ambassador to the solar system. His family had ensured a promotion that kept him close to home, no trips longer than an hour away, which included a large area of this sector of the galaxy. Fathers of young children often took sabbaticals from their careers so they could imprint their children fully during their infancy and critical defining years. As Anin's son was kept a secret and Cecilia refused to look normal so she could not be taken out publicly, taking a sabbatical would create too much inquiry and maybe a formal investigation into the matter. The order could not afford an investigation into their affairs. Cecilia was, after all, not pure-blooded, and his son, well, he was not naturally begotten and was half Rumni. The true nature of bloodlines of his wife had always also had been kept secret, and her Nunaki parentage had been recorded during the signing of the contracts. Although rare, occasionally a woman would have an affair resulting in children whose father's lineage was not made public. Anyone assumed that this was the case with Oneliet. Her lineage was also from a very remote sector, from a planet that had been destroyed. All these facts made hiding her Rumnian heritage easy to conceal. The mountain of unnatural and death-threatening circumstances if the true nature of his children and wife were to become public would have driven a lesser man mad. But Anin was complete and he was young, very young. Those types of insurmountable odds were to him simply life. The rest of the meeting was concluded without incident. In fact, it had been extremely successful and easy. Ambassador Unking had take, suddenly become supportive, friendly and willing to do business. And he wasn't sure exactly what had happened. What he had said had changed the ambassador's stand so quickly. Maybe he too had lost a child at some point. He checked his database and saw that no such loss had occurred. Both himself and the ambassador had gone into negotiations a month earlier, knowing that the final financial deal which would include the mineral rights for several rich planets and moons, would take years to finalize. But here they were, signing a final and very profitable preliminary version of the final contract. The mineral rights had been acquired, and in sat with his back to the large art piece which proudly exhibited the ambassador's family territory in the galaxy. He had noticed, he had noticed it when he had entered the room several weeks past, and knew it had been carefully placed to show negotiators the strength and the might of the family. Now he saw the same image in the contract. This time, several planets had his family's insignia next to them, compared with the names of the minerals, accompanied by the names of the minerals they would now be able to acquire from those planets. When Anin got, first got this assignment, it was known to him and his family that the deal might never happen. But every 10 years or so, they routinely started renew, new negotiations. It is more like a dance than a real attempt at working together. The ambassador's family doesn't use minerals in that sector. They don't have the investment needed, nor the know-how in their lineage. Their strengths lie elsewhere, but they bring in several families on a regular basis to negotiate a possible deal. No one expected Anin to go home with a signed deal. He had already communicated his concerns to his own people, the way in which the ambassador had turned things around and made his final decision was suspicious. 
and he needed to know everything was clear and recorded properly, it would not surprise him at all if the ambassador accused him of blackmail or some other illegal action in the days or weeks to come. He was obviously playing some sort of political game, and then he needed to figure out what it was. But at least now Anin was able to get home for lunch, which for some reason felt to him more important than closing a deal that had been escaping his family for centuries. He knew the deal would be thoroughly investigated and was probably reversed. If the ambassador wasn't playing political games and planning to tie him up in litigation for the next few centuries, then Anin's own competitors definitely would. For now, for today, he had succeeded in acquiring the rights to the mine several planets. He would enjoy this initial victory no matter what followed. He read the contract again from beginning to end. It was watertight. Hoping against hope that this wasn't a scam and that it wouldn't be reversed anytime soon, and in place he sealed on the documents and stood up for the customary embrace which marked the end of a positive negotiation. He then returned and made his way out of the palatial offices of the ambassador. His assistant and security detail were waiting for him outside as they were unworthy and too low in rank to enter the palace. As complete and free men and women, his people were accustomed to being treated as equals at home, yet they knew how to behave out in regular society. They bowed deeply to him as he reached them and escorted him back to his ship. As he entered his ship, Anin took back, looked back at the palace and worried that even though everything looked and felt above board, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was afoot. Something was definitely wrong with the deal. He was too perfect. A voice in his personal communicator broke through Anin's worried thoughts. Your son has awakened, sir. Then Annie tried to stop him from leaving his room, but he ran away still in his sleeping clothes and is now in, on his way to the, his, your daughter's quarters, Orsula announced in his communication device. Well, he's running wild and unchecked. His mother, I assume, is with Athelia? Yes, sir, she is. On my way, he said and signed his crew to take off. Annie had tried to inform himself of the ways of roomy parenting, but it had been a struggle. The children were kept away from all other races until their roomy form was stable. Whatever race the children were with, between birth and stabilization of form, was the one they would be in their normal shape. It was a period following stabilization where children were exposed to any number of races that he or she might in the future want to shapeshift into. This particular ability would be dormant in those roomy who were not exposed to other races by the time they reached puberty. Overall, roomy parents didn't partake in their children's upbringing very much. The children mostly were brought up in groups consisting of their social status and work paths. They had kept Glorcaine away from his mother until civilization happened, something she had insisted upon. She was able to control his day and daycare through monitoring devices and would speak to him in her tongue until the day his shape was solidly Anunnaki, at which point she was able to physically hold him. The bond was mysterious. Charlotte would often be, was often absent in mind, but her connection to the boy was deep. And he felt that somehow his own genetic material had affected Shaler on a long-term basis. She often now smiled, and sometimes she was quiet and reflective of her surroundings. She and Anin had never become close friends, but their relationship was amicable. She had nowhere to go, having been convicted of a crime against her own species, she wasn't able to leave the protection of his family and, and as planet, lest her be captured and executed by her own people. This meant that Anin didn't have to worry about her kidnapping her the children, which he was sure she would do if she had somewhere to go. He was also made sure she had everything she required for her scientific and genetic investigations. His mother had also had a large building designed and built especially for her, quote, daughter, unquote, 
The Rumni had given her a grandchild, making Jaila now a member of the family. He had been in the new building once. He was ornate, but mostly it felt like a medical lab. Sheila had been assigned to her own had been assigned her own staff, guards and technical team, all complete, a state that meant their genetic programming had been disabled and fully armed with suits that prevented mind control and poisoning. Sarah, your son has arrived at Cecilia's quarters and both tutors are still here. His shape? Anunnaki, sir. No matter then, let him in. Lord Kane burst into the room as the old tutor stormed out, red in the face and shouting obscenities at the other adults in the room. He suit obviously failing to control his emotions. Lord Kane checked himself, as he had been told to do every day of his life, to make sure he looked like an Anunnaki. He did. The man didn't even notice him. Lord Kane smiled to himself today. He was a good boy. Cecilia was the first one to spot him. She smiled and called him over. He ran over to her and noticed the small man standing next to her. Cecilia was older than Lorcaine, but she was also very small, and the strange-looking man was also small, and he had a flat head like his sister's. She stared at him. She started telling him about the man. She seemed very happy and excited that he was there. But you said all teachers were bores, he said after several minutes of listening to her rumble on. Well, don't tell anyone this, but this one here is not really a teacher. He's an oracle, and he's going to teach me how to oracle. The man laughed. Okay, in frowns, Cecilia was always using words that he didn't understand. It's okay, little brother. I am not little, and I'm not your brother. I'm bigger than you, and when we grow up, I'm going to marry you. He knew that marriage meant that they would live together forever, and his mother had told him that's what's going, that's what's going to happen. He thought that Cecilia was his sister, but his mother had made sure to let him know that brothers and sisters didn't marry, and when they grew up, they lived in different sectors and rarely saw each other. Cecilia was his nestmate, and one day, when they both grew up, they would become married and live together forever. His mother had told him so. Okay, yes, you are bigger than me, and no, we're not getting married. Cecilia started stopping him from arguing his point about marriage with a stern look and sending him a big hug, letting him know they would never be apart. So, younger bro, uh, boy... She continued, one day you will start to mature and grow up, and then you will be able to retain more information in your mind. You will learn how to read, write, sing, communicate with other people and stuff like that. Your mommy says it's only a matter of time. The boy knew that this was true. His mother and everyone around him had told him so. They also told him not to compare himself to his tiny, older nestmate because she was different to anyone in the universe. He touched into her mother's mind and told her that Cecilia had said they were not going to get married. His mother told him Cecilia didn't know everything, especially what was planned for her future. She told him that it would be their knowledge to hold and remember forevermore, and not to mention it to anyone else again. He nodded. He was very good at keeping secrets. He leaned over and put his large head on his nestmate's shoulder and let her stroke his hair. He loved Cecilia more than anyone on the planet except his mummy and daddy. His mummy said that he had inherited his father's heart. She said it in an annoyed voice when he would do things she didn't approve of. He reached over to touch Cecilia's face the way his father touched his face when they greeted. You got smaller, he said, lifting his head up after getting to his fill of Cecilia love. No, you got bigger. Why don't you get bigger too? I don't know. I thought about it, but I feel like it's not right for me to do that. I'm human and, she pointed to the man next to her, humans are tiny. He heard her say the words, but he knew somehow deep inside of him, Struth stirred, that she was not all human. 
This man was all human, but his sister only had a little bit of human. She was more like him than the man. She was part Anunnaki and part Rumi, just like he was. She felt his dissonant discomfort to his words, to her words, and corrected herself. Yes, I'm only part human, but I was fostered by humans on a human planet while I was young. And that makes me a lot more human than Anunnaki or Rumi, my shape stabilized to the human form. Oh, yes, I can see that, the voice said. No, he added, addressing the man who was about to ask him if he wanted tutoring too. At that point, Lord Kane decided that his mother was a much more interesting person than Thethelia and her tutor. He bowed to them and made his way across the room, walking slowly this time, to get his mother physical attention. Thethelia watched him walk away, and the question formed in her mind again. Why was her nestmate so stupid? He was only three years younger than her, but behaved like he was an infant. His rate of development is much slower, but don't worry, by the time he's 50 Earth years old, he will be as, much, as mature and able to retain information as you are now. But I'll be an old lady by then, Cecilia said. She had learned about human physiology and life expectancy. She also remembered her foster family. They were all under 40 years old and were fully grown, mature and able to function. Her foster siblings were only a few years older than her and quite able to hold deep and detailed conversations. The man looked at her in puzzlement. Then he remembered how earth humans had been genetically altered to live an extremely short lifespan, averaging 70-odd years. Our natural lifespans is no shorter than an or roomy lifestyle in Thethelia, he said, wondering why she didn't know this. Thethelia looked at him surprised. No, my foster family, my parents, were very young in years, but they were old in body, and my grandmother was super old, and she was only 60 years old earth years. I remember that. I was told she wasn't going to live much longer. Yes, earth humans' genetic data was altered to create very short lifespans with accelerated physical maturity and reproduction. People there died before they reached an age of reason. The rest of the human species, the ones in the rest of the universe, live natural lives. We can definitely, indefinite, we can live indefinitely in the right conditions. Old age and sickness are not part of our reality. I, myself, am over 20,000 years old earth years old wait we can live longer than anunnaki they get they do get old yes but how come i look older than my nestmate i'm smaller but i'll also look older well and i'm more intelligent the nature of the anunnaki as a species is one of physical expression and learning their mental development and maturity perfectly mirrors the development of their bodies at this point alexander stopped talking Thetilia felt a deep censoring of information, a massive block of data was paused. She looked at him and he told her, not in words, but in something that felt like a memory, that there was something he could not discuss with her in present company. She stood, feeling the block vanish from her mind, the memory and the thought of a memory vanishing with it. Daddy! Both children suddenly shouted and ran to the window, and his teleporter was landing outside. Yay! That's the end of the first draft of chapter one. Thank you. That was really nice. <laughs> it's been interesting to hear it from your voice than my own voice <laughs> in my head. <laughs> <laughs> the accentuation is different. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, if anybody has any questions they want to ask, just unmute yourself. I have a question. The first question, <laughs> um, how come humans are working for the Anunnaki? And in what way are they working for them? Is it like in a paid job or, I mean, 
I suspect that they want to be working for the Anunnaki for whatever reason, which is not revealed yet, but... <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who takes any notice of the gardeners? Right. That's what I suspect, yeah. But, I mean, the Anunnaki, they also... So for them, they're just servants. They're, like, not important. Not important. And the humans came and, and, and um, how do you call that? Applied for the jobs or, or do you have any? There, it explains a little bit more later, but they're sought after. They're recruited heavily for um, taking care of planets. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Um, in our reality here, emotions are the building block in our matrix. But the Anunnaki have suits to control their emotions. So I'm just kind of curious about that. I know it's just like a difference, like eating vanilla ice cream or chocolate. But like, how does that, what's the difference between their life experience versus ours? So when uh, people are on a power over others paradigm, the people on top want to minimize the creation of sovereign creation of reality. And the best way to control the mass co-creation of reality is to control not just their thoughts, but their emotions too. And if you think about it, with regards to humans and the result and the, what vaccinations do to people, especially boys, right? It makes them emotionally incapable of connecting, right? And, and not able to connect at the level of emotion that we understand. Mm -hmm. I have a follow-up question to that. So if the suits control the Anunnaki's emotions, that's one form of control. So then are they not a creator species? Um, they are creators of their own realities. They are, yes. But not necessarily a creator the way a human would be. Right. The human collective is a, acts very much from a collective perspective and co-creation of realities and from that perspective. Um, a human person can, in fact, push their own reality into the collective reality, but it takes a lot of energy and a lot of emotion <laughs> and a lot of focus. But it can happen at a small degree. You can see it when yogis walk on fire very slowly and they don't get burned, right? Which is their, a lot of that is part of their being able to control their own creation rather than they can't make another person walk through the coals without their slowly without shoes on right burning coals they can't make another person but they can do it for themselves so in that sense that singular pushing through what we agreed to be reality and doing their own thing singularly it can be done but mostly with regards to ourselves occasionally we can do it 
with other people, but again, it's not common. But it can be done by the person within an enormous amount of sovereignty and emotion and to be able to push a reality into another person or generally speaking. And then with the Anunnaki, they're more able to push their own creation into their reality. It's not a co-creation or what exactly is the difference with them? So some millions or maybe thousands or hundreds of thousands of years ago, a group of them decided what they felt then and I should live like, right? They have a, an upside. Well, they have like an, um, a very, very strict and very solid social structure. We can see there's gaps in it. You know, we can see there's cracks in that structure, especially with the complete people, right? There, that's a big crack in the structure of the Anunnaki. But generally speaking, their structure is solid, socially solid. And they have very, very, they think about in terms of thousands of years, they don't think about tomorrow or the next 10 years. And to keep that stable and then moving, like, stable and keep it people in power growing power and all that um they created a whole technology to take control over emotions and thoughts and um religion and all that type of stuff is another crack the genetic mixing so the Romney and the human dna Oh, yes, but we'll see that later on. <laughs> okay. That's the massive, biggest crack ever. That's why they're very reluctant to mix, but they never figured out that it was a two-way street that they were opening up. So when you talk about them being complete, um, it feels like the state of being complete is something that is a, it's an evolutionary move for their society towards more independence, is that personal no, independence? No, it's not evolutionary. It's revolutionary. <laughs> so if evolve, they didn't have to evolve or change physically to become complete. It was revolutionary in that some people are taking back their power and doing, you know, their own thing. Okay. So it's more like a revolution rather than an evolution. Uh. Is it, is it something they partly keep secret then because of that? Absolutely. Did you read the first book, The Return? Oh, I did. I'm just still trying to make it all fit up there. <laughs> the order is uber secret, super secret. Even in that chapter, it talks about even though the, all of his stuff is complete, yeah. when out and out outside of their planet, they have to act like they're not, right? Okay. So they bow deeply to him and, you know, when he came out of the palace and all that, they have to pretend to still be controlled. Okay. Got it. Thanks. But that part of it, um, they say is outside of the Anunnaki's themselves, isn't it? Like they have to pretend, but within themselves. They're all they Anunnaki. They're all so Anunnaki. the ambassador of... Um, Yes. From Andromeda, he was Anunnaki too. Oh yes. Ah, okay. Now it makes sense. Okay. Yes. 
So if Anunnaki have this structure in place, both with like hierarchy, sovereigns, the suit technology, is this not power over others? It is, yeah. It is. Yeah. And, you know, they kill people for saying the wrong thing, right? (laughs) I thought the beginning, though, it said, like, this was a planet without power over others. Maybe I misheard that. So which planet are we talking about? The Order's planet? They're on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But when they come out to other planets, the Anunnaki hierarchy still rules. So they have to be extremely careful. That's why he has to keep the existence of his son secret, right? Mm -hmm. And all that, because the other Anunnaki's are still, they're not complete. And they have, this family needs to pretend that they're, they're not complete. Nobody knows. Even not even he knew in the first book anything about it. He was just a regular Anunnaki, right? Full on the mm-hmm. regular rules. And then he found out about the order and everything else. Mm-hmm. Got it. Then uh, this is another, um, I can see another break point over there. They are complete. They already take the power and uh, they are, give, well, I don't think that they are giving it away. They are hiding that they are complete. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really, the Anunnaki structure is really hierarchy. Yes. And they, they don't, in order to control, they uh, have those suit to control the motion because the motion are the one that create. Then Anunnaki are, or the evolution of the Anunnaki, of the ones that they are, uh, doing that, they are creator species too, no? Yeah, they create their own reality and their own planets. They're definitely creators, yeah. Huh. But to different levels of matter, do they create matter? They don't create matter. They can't generate matter. And uh, another thing is um, humans... Yeah, over there are treated like like servants. They are like a, a slavery race in other planets. No, they're not slaves. They're sought after. They're highly sought after for looking after planets and uh, making them uh, compatible with the Anunnaki's. And that happened because the Anunnaki was part um, uh the Nunaki, um, uh, we are part, or the Nunakis are the one that tweaks some of our DNA? Only on Earth. Only on Earth? Yeah. So human doesn't belong to Earth? Or- no, it doesn't. Uh-uh. Oh my God, I got it. So you mentioned um, that some of the gardeners were sought off, were sought out. Is it because of a particular skill, or is it because they could be easily controlled? No. So it's it's a skill, and so they're kind of like under the ra- radar, and their yes. superpowers, if you will, will eventually be shown. Yes. Here. Okay. I got it. Anunnaki's underestimate humans. They don't think they're hum- like people, right? They don't consider them to be people. 
they consider them to be a subspecies that is only good for gardening and terraforming planets. And they have their, you know, silly little belief systems and religions and philosophies and whatnot. And as ambassadors, and these people are complete, they still feel that way about the humans, but they also have the knowledge and know, know how, how to treat people from other species. So they're not going to be like disrespectful to somebody high ranking coming along, right? Because they know that you disrespect a high ranking person in their own species, you get a war. So they're not going to do it. And as ambassadors, they know exactly everything, how to treat other people, even though they might think they're talking to, you know, I don't know, like uh, dogs or cats, you know. <laughs> they might think they're talking to a cat, but they'll still be respectful of the cat and what the cat wants and feels that the cat belief system is, you know. Okay, that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, the first paragraph, Cecilia mentions that she can feel the human, something about how she can feel the difference. So what does that feel like? What is that feeling? Um, can you read the sentence? Um, oh, I don't have my, uh, I don't have my um, phone on with the book, but my notes, um, the first paragraph, it says something about, she says, was he human? Yes, he felt human. How does a human feel to her is, is my question. Which, like, I think the very first paragraph was yes. he human. Yes, he felt it. That mm -hmm. yes, he was to, to her. Okay. So um, you've met Lucy, right? Yes. Okay. So if you feel into Lucy's dogginess, can you feel that she's a like doggy doggy, like super doggy? Yeah, I, I could feel that she's a serious doggy doggy. You're right, right. Now, feeling to Kara, look at her in the screen. Does she feel doggy woggy? No. <laughs> Honey bunny. <laughs> okay. She feels different, right? Yes, yes. That's it. It's not complicated. It's just that. Okay, okay. I, I, I thought it was like a certain feeling or a certain look or something. Okay. I got it. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm very curious about what what happens when they when the Anunnaki reach the age of reason? Like, what does that mean for them? Yeah, they have to go and work. Mm. So they're it's sort of like when they turn you know twenty and graduate from college. For us, yeah. Is, ah, yeah, yeah. I thought maybe it was more intricate, but no, it takes a few hundred years though. <laughs> And Annie had only just gone through that, you know. That was his first job when he went to Earth, right? That was his first job. Okay. Like he was fully trained and everything, and he was able to control and, you know. And because of his family, he was in a position of power. Um, but, yeah, it's the same as, you know, you graduate from college and you set off into the world to take care of yourself. And yeah, it's the same. So does that mean that like a 50-year-old Anunnaki would have the emotional maturity of, you know, a 10-year-old human? Yes. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so what is it about Earth that, that um, 
the plant that the people here that they want to control like the planet so much and the humans on it and influence it and not the other humans in the universe sorry say that again oh <laughs> what is it about the earth that they want to control the planet so much and the people on the planet and not like the other uh, humans who are like working for them and all who who wants to control uh because earth has it generates a lot of gold it's only for the gold yeah earth grows gold and then anaki wants it and also is that also why uh, we were like the humans on earth were tweaked and everything mm -hmm. it was just gold yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> so the i'm curious about the human unless you had a follow up question nicolette no i'm just a bit it looks like you're processing <laughs> yeah, you're just not okay with it <laughs> so with the with the humans of earth and then the humans that you referenced in like working on the property um are they humans of earth in your mind when you're writing that or are you thinking of of human beings or humanoids of the universe and then now i'm really curious too like how different are we as humans of earth to like a human on another planet because our dna has obviously been genetically modified <laughs> so we're the gmo version but i <laughs> imagine we're not exclusive <laughs> there's no there's a couple of things um so humans on earth and people have been discussing and arguing over the origin the very first humans on earth which is ridiculous because actually all the different races that are on earth are from different planets so Okay. And you now, one of, the, one of the experiments things that happened here, where we were left um, open sourced to ourselves and also other humans. So we are able to mate with other humans from other planets and have babies. And now we have humans running around on the planet that are directly connected to hundreds of different human planets around the universe. So they're not original Earth earthen beings no most of the animals on earth and plants are from different planets they're not original from here but so but we on earth were tweaked you had the original earth earth humanoid and then it was tweaked to be able to house the soul so those humans like that are working for the anunnaki do they look different so um, when a human colony gets established, first of all, the planet has to be made compatible to hold human forms, right? And the, one of the, it takes like, it can take millions of years to establish a planet. And one of the methods they use is to seed the humanoid physical body elementals onto a planet. And they, in turn, through their own creative process, start making the planet compatible and more and more compatible. And then they get tweaked. And eventually, when the planet's ready, it gets marked for a soul um, a colony. 
So at some point, all the humanoids, all the human, not human, human physical elemental people on a planet are given the choice to become human, which means soul and body. And if they say yes, they get tweaked to receive souls. If they say no, they either separate themselves from the rest or they get taken out uh, to a different planet. Or they become Sasquatch or Wookiees or... Yeah. <laughs> or they stay Sasquatch and you Wookiee. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stay Sasquatch. Yeah. So basically, those species, like like the original species in there, they were, they were modified slowly, seated here and then modified to be part of the planet Earth. Yes. And so that also happens on other planets. Mm -hmm. And so those, those humans that are working now, um, like in your book, who are working on that planet, they are like humanoid in shape like us. I mean, they are like, like uh-huh. except they're not limited to 70 years they can live for yeah. thousands of years if they want to right. yeah. we look the same as you and me and it's not only limited to just the Anunnaki's and their people and it's not just limited to one time where the planet's seated it's not just limited to one time that a group is put somewhere there's multiple groups, multiple times, multiple centuries, multiple civilizations, multiple groups, and open sourcing. So it's a very, very big, complicated, tangled web. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, people, one step, one step at a time. Put in other planets, you know, at different points in time. So from a matrix perspective and in follow up to, I think it was our last call on the interview with an angel book club, looking at like the human uh, AI technology that we are and all the, I'm assuming then all the other human beings across the universe are part of that. Are we like a planetary caretaker technology and that's like what our skill set is or that's just an aspect of who we are? Um, it's a very large aspect of, okay. of it, but mostly because it's a skill that a creative, very highly effectively creative species can do. You know, they, if you have a barren planet and you put humans on it, eventually it's going to be a vibrant living planet. Eventually, right? right? It's a long time, but eventually it happens. Right. We'll figure it out. We'll make it grow. We'll make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Guild of Gaia. Brides and Grooms of Gaia. <laughs> Stewards <laughs> of the Earth. Shocker. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Brides and Grooms of Gaia. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's one um, aspect that it was very interesting about how many mixes, like the genetic mix in the story is, um, you know, like the Rumi and Anunnaki and then Rumi, Anunnaki and human and how the mix um, impact or also affect the mother, right? And I think you have talked about that also here for humans when you have a different, a kid from different father and how that because affects the 
modify the mother uh, genetic um, material. So that's really cool. So we want to have some, do that affects also not just the mother, but <laughs> at large that, you know, the collective. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. But they haven't really figured that one out yet. <laughs> Good for us. <laughs> I'll have to read your book. <laughs> well, then, if they're and then if they're connected to our collective through that genetic modification, right? And then they're actually now also connected to all the other collectives that we're connected to, as well. Yep. Yeah interesting which cycles back to a time in the universe when there was no separation right Mm -hmm. it made me think about that bigger orchestration orchestration happening yeah yeah so when you say that um cecilia is the queen returned and the sovereign of all these universes what does that exactly mean well, it means, depending on your religion and your race, what it means, right? <laughs> but I guess, does for her to be that, everybody would have to have a religion that included her in it, right? And there is a religion that talks about her, but it's outlawed by the Anunnaki. Oh, okay. It talks about it in the first book. But I guess what I'm saying is if she's the queen of all the universes, if she's the queen of all species in all the universes, don't they all have to have some knowledge of her in their worldview? And they talk about all of those in the different books too. I've talked about that in the last book as well. How the Rumi have one, uh, theory or, or the return. But what about humans on earth? We don't have one. So how would she fit into our worldview? He froze. Oh, yeah. I think we have a lot of the returns in our civilization. I think Jesus Christ is supposed to be coming back. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> in 3,000 years. Or, I don't know. There's lots of it. It's just, yeah, it's just um, the different words and different... Uh, I guess it's like the phone book story, right? Or the phone story, whatever one, where you tell somebody something and then the other end. I have better examples. Tell tell us some examples. For example, um, in our Arthurian canon, supposedly Merlin has stuck himself inside of an oak tree and is waiting for the earth to be in danger until he returns. And then there is this ancient king off in Ireland that stuck himself inside a grave until he returns. When Ireland's in danger. Then um, there's quite a few others from the same yeah, mythologies all over the world. For return, for salvation, whatever. Yeah. So then we're understanding that there's uh, some sort of a mythology like this in every part of the universe. That's really my question. It's okay. So yeah. universe- Thanks. Look who's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, say it again. I, I don't know what you said. Uh, that is supposedly right. up in an oak tree until the earth needs him. 
The what, sorry? That Merlin, you know, the big wizard guy. Yeah. He's stuck inside of an oak tree. Until their earth needs them. Oh, yeah. That's needs yeah. That's, I think I heard Larry also talk about a ton of return stories on Earth and myths and legends. There is a bunch of them. Yeah, there's a bunch. We have tons of them. <laughs> so was that maybe part of the plan of humans and all the mixes, kind of the reestablishing of that connection among the different... Uh, yeah. races species in the universe yes yeah but the ones that, that the ones that connect need to be at a certain frequency level right and they can't be playing wars and power over other stuff mm. and maybe that's one of the reasons why the Anunnaki outlawed that story or the religion because they don't want it to happen because they might lose control exactly <laughs> Yeah. So it's basically us returning, getting fully empowered again and like being complete in that sense too. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a yeah. question. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, like I was uh Ethelia is their representation of the awakened masses mm -hmm. awakened people go ahead Daniela um, my, my question is about Kaya um, where is she in the whole picture she wants to go universal she wants to travel in, in her matter her matter to, to matter in the universe and um my second question is um, why um, she agreed to the split, to the first split um, 10,000 years ago, I don't know Gaia? when this was. Uh, Gaia um, agreed to the first split where the um, Lemuria uh, are out and yeah. to this timeline where we are well if you think about it from a planetary perspective it's a tiny little millisecond and it's interesting <laughs> right tinchy winchy and humans who were the main people who wanted it and all the other animals who wanted to experience it too they really wanted it and why would she say no right Everybody, like a lot of people want it, and it's interesting. So, and it only lasts a split second. <laughs> <laughs> Just an experience from, yeah, the lower frequency, mm -hmm. without judgment, of course. Yeah, there's no judgment. It's purple. It's blue. It's pink. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, I'm Thank gonna put. Thank you. She just woke up. So. Mm -hmm. Last question. I don't think Anelia can answer it anyways. Who's the father? And where did Francisco go? Yes. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Bring Francisco back. He's the man. <laughs> right? <laughs> Francisco. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but it was really no more about... 
Does anybody know more about how exactly this thing works in terms of vaccinations, making it really difficult for men to connect at an emotional level? And why men? What's the mechanism that does that? I don't know the mechanism, but the first image that I got it was just a, um, affecting the, uh, how you call it, the um, hormones more directly. So I don't know. I'm not sure actually. <clears throat> well, can the men, the men on the call, do they have any input? <laughs> mm -hmm. Looking at the guys in blue. It's <laughs> on the what? boat. Brett can tell you. Uh, something about DNA, you said? Yes. Um, typically, the way that vaccinations work is they give your cells instructions on how to build things that cut out your own DNA and the virus's DNA that tries to infect you as well. So cutting that out could actually harm us in such a manner that it doesn't allow us to experience emotions and other manners of stuff like that. Since it cuts out the DNA responsible for making those things in the first place. And why does it affect men more so than women? I don't know. Structure. Remove the structure. <laughs> Killing strong men, leaders for hundreds of thousands of years first through wars now through vaccines and wars <laughs> to just uh, address the little bit that i heard before i got cut out uh, with regards to francisco he's back next week <laughs> we love francisco we can't get rid of him and um the other one who's the father doesn't come in until book three so oh, oh man <laughs> At least we know now. We should take a poll and start betting on it. <laughs> we should. Can I walk with me now, thread on that one? <laughs> they only said book three, so we don't know if it's the first chapter or the very last sentence. Yeah. Let's finish book two first. <laughs> yes. I have another thing, something I noticed, there's that sentence where you, where it says, make her see, this is about Cecilia, I can't say it the way, how do you say Cecilia? Cecilia. 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 Make her see that people had to think they had free will. So. <laughs> Good, spotted, well spotted. I was hoping somebody would spot that sentence. Well done. Well, it's pretty triggering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's 2.03. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you, Inez. I the question for next time. <laughs> oh, I didn't see the time. Yeah, yeah. Here's another cliffhanger. Even the calls are going to finish like that. Do we have to remember this for next time, or you don't want to answer it? Or <laughs> I answered it. What? 
No, you just said well spotted. I ho- I was hoping somebody would. Good job. And then you didn't tell us. But it's a statement. What 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 is the question? It's a statement. Oh. It is just like that. You don't want to elaborate on it? <laughs> I don't understand. So people don't have don't have free will. Is yeah, it true? Yeah, we can elaborate next next time, I guess. Because it's a long answer. It's not just a yes no. Okay. Ah, yeah. Cliffhanger, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the time, so yeah, that's really funny. Somebody's really good at that, just saying. Someone better write this down so we don't forget. Well, I have my list here with questions, so it's there. Milos, <laughs> next time we, we start with that. <laughs> and on the I know that so, for people to stay in the after party of the call, so feel free to hang out and chill. And- <laughs>